You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. This episode, we're going to cover uh, Brilliant Corners. Brilliant Corners by. I don't know why I'm saying that twice. Brilliant Corners. <laughs> Just keep saying it. Brilliant <laughs> Corners. I think when you say it twice in a row, it sounds like a like a Bright Eyes record or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> brilliant Corners. Brilliant Corners. But yeah. the font's different the second time. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. slanty, so we know it's more emotive. Mm. Uh, all right, in the room, I got Matt, Ben, hello, John, hello, and myself. Brilliant Corners by American jazz pianist, composer Thelonious Monk was released in 1957 on Riverside Records. It was Monk's third album for Riverside, and it was produced by Orrin Keepnews. The genre is jazz, hard bop. Monk played a key role in the creation of bebop and Harlem in the mid-40s. After a bogus drug conviction and a disinterested record label, Monk signed to Riverside and this was his first album on the label to feature predominantly original material. The complex title track required over a dozen takes in the studio and is considered one of the most difficult compositions. What did you guys think of Brilliant Corners? I was, I was greatly impressed. Again, uh, jazz, bebop, hard bop, all the bops yeah. um, are not something I was really familiar with or really uh, a person who I, I you know, would say that that was something I enjoyed previously. Yeah. Um, but similarly here, uh, I, I really liked it. Um, I was impressed by just the, the complexity of the compositions. Um, again, I'm not the one who would sit down and listen to a 13 minute song. Um, but you know, you, you can't, you can't uh, deny that there's an immense amount of skill that goes into what he did. Yeah. Expanding on that, you know, bebop wasn't written for me. Yeah. Uh, I totally, I, I, I get it, and I respect, uh, like, the musicianship to be able to do the stuff. Personally, I need some more structure to really get repeat listens out of something. But uh, that being said, I really enjoyed listening to this record, and uh, and I'm sure we'll touch on it a little bit, but uh, I w- kind of went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is kind of a classic album to have. Uh, stories told about just because of the title track and how complex it was. Mm-hmm. Um, Tell one. What's that? <laughs> Tell one. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna give my initial impressions. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I I I liked uh, this album. It's not my favorite. Probably top five though for Thelonious Monk. Um, yeah, really creative. This was right when jazz was just breaking trying to break the molds and 
and just think out, outside the box, like go in different directions. Can someone tell me what makes bebop different from jazz or hard bop different from bebop? Uh, I did some reading on hard bop to mm-hmm. kind of get the definition, and it infuses more blues um, and traditional African beats into uh, like tradition, traditional jazz. jazz rhythms. Okay, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, and so that's that's sort of hard bop. And people said there's also there's many variations, and a lot of people will you know shoe bop, shoe bop, shoe yeah. she bop, kid bop, k bop. K-pop is <laughs> Yeah, K-pop. Sure, that's funnier. Yeah. <laughs> is there soft bop? I mean, this is a legitimate question. There's hard bop oh, and deep bop. And bop and is there soft bop? bop? Uh, yeah. Like after a song, a hard bop song is over, does it become <laughs> soft bop for like a good like six to seven hours? It's called the refactory period. <laughs> yes. Between <laughs> between hard bops. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, I could see a more melodic. I could see more melodic. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. I could see a more melodic uh, kind of bebop being yeah. called soft bop. Mm-hmm. Something, I mean, can you, something that's can you... a little more down to Do you want me to do it on my, with my voice? Yes, right please. Now? Yeah. <laughs> please give an example. driving today and I was on a very long drive and it was not the best record to listen to on a long drive <laughs> after you've been driving for a couple hours because it is difficult you said that in the very beginning of the yeah. description it, I think it's an excellent description of this album because it is a difficult record and you know we have on this side of the table you have three guys that aren't big jazz guys you know music guys definitely but not the you know biggest jazz guys so this record there's definitely the same thing where it's such it is such a departure yeah. like the songs are almost like loose frameworks for soloing and exploration. Yeah. And so it is a little bit harder to kind of follow than a traditional structure or a traditional melody that you can kind of wrap your brain around. Right. But as I was listening to it driving, it definitely took me, uh, you know, two songs into the record to kind of get into that mode. Yeah. But then I was almost meditative with it, right. listening to it while I was driving. And then um, it, the, my main thing that I came back to was I really wanted to listen to it while not doing anything, while yeah. like laying on a couch, yeah. like have it on the record player and have it on the couch, lay on the couch during an afternoon or something and just listen to it in that way. Yeah. So I can kind of maybe follow the exploration a little bit more as it gets away from the structure. That was my initial takeaway from my first listen to it. Um, it's very cool, you know, and it's one of those things too where it's someone who I didn't know a ton of stuff from, yeah. you know. Um, so to kind of hear a body of work like this, particularly like you said, I think I, some of the stuff that I knew was maybe earlier stuff or later stuff where he was doing covers and versions of maybe more well-known songs where yeah. he's kind of getting more exploratory with it and weirder and deconstructing it, but it's still a melody that you kind of recognize. Yeah. Um, so it's easier to follow. So to hear this largely original compositions that seem primarily built and 
structured for that melodic exploration and soloing. There's a lot of kind of weird solos that kind of just happen. <laughs> it doesn't feel like, okay, here's the break, here's the solo. All of a sudden, just kind of I, you realize, oh, a solo started. I felt that on the second song. Yeah. I felt like the solos were actually kind of weak for, for this album. I thought um, they were like more esoteric is how I felt. Like it felt like they weren't trying to be like, it's a solo. Yeah. They just kind of drifted off into an area that you kind of think, oh, that, that guy's just soloing now. Yeah. But it wasn't a launch. It wasn't a departure. Right, right. The second song, I, I think I have the, the biggest problem with because Baloo Boulevard, yeah, uh, Bal yeah, Baloo Boulevard, Baloo's R, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but the song has, you know, has the melody, and then it goes straight into uh, alto sax, and I didn't feel like that was a very strong solo. Then it picks up because Monk does a piano solo, mm -hmm. and you're kind of all in for that. And then Sony Rollins, who's great uh, tenor sax player. He does a great solo there, but then they just kind of throw the leftovers to the double bass and the drums. Mm -hmm. and Max Roach is a fantastic drummer, yeah. but they, it's almost, they're so far into the song that it almost feels to me that, you know, <laughs> here you go, go ahead and solo, but not too long because yeah. we're already up <laughs> We're to wrapping it up. We're <laughs> wrapping it up. But I mean, does everybody need to, I mean, this is a valid question that's, for that's all what, jazz records. That's what I thought. Does every single person need to get a solo in no. every single song? See, see if there would have been the two strong solos, yeah. I, I think I probably would have felt that was a, a stronger track. Mm. Well, it'd be interesting to find out because we talked about uh, how difficult the title track was and how many takes it took them because of the arrangement of it. Was that second track even that arranged? Was it more loosely arranged? Loosely arranged. See, yeah. and so then maybe exactly. they just did a couple of takes, and that one set, felt the best. They right. were happiest with that, which is one of the you know the magical things about jazz is you can hear twenty versions of the same song, and they're all a little different. Right. You know. Absolutely. Um, so a couple things here. According to Downbeat Magazine, Brilliant Corners was the most critically acclaimed album of 1957, um, and the title track. Brilliant Corners is considered a jazz masterpiece. Um, I'll give you a little bit of a background then, Ben, if you want to go down, say, say, go down oh, yeah. your uh, Wikipedia rabbit hole. Uh, Monk attempted to record the title track during the four-hour session. The complexity of the title uh, of the track became a challenge. They attempted 25 takes, and it led to tension between him and altophone saxophone player Ernie Henry, who nearly broke down mentally. The double bass player... Oscar Pettifor um, also exchanged harsh words to Monk during the session. Monk tried to make it easier on Henry by not playing during the alto solo. Uh, during one of the takes, they checked Pettifor's uh, bass microphone for a malfunction, but ultimately realized that he was pantomiming his playing. <laughs> uh, without a completed single take, they ultimately pieced together the album version for multiple takes. Mm -hmm. So... So it's a fraud. Yeah. Well, and, Same uh, as what, Blueberry Hill. Right. Yeah, and, and, which they... Uh, and uh, live, live in Newport. Yeah, the whole album. Newport, yeah, yeah, the whole yeah. album. It's all Frankenstein. It's all yeah. fraudulent. Yeah. At least the music industry is not like that anymore. So. <laughs> uh, Monk, uh, reading the book, there's a quote, which I think is pretty fitting. Monk says, I wasn't trying to create something that would be hard to play. I just composed music that fit with how I was thinking. I knew musicians would dig it because it sounded good. So basically, basically uh, Brilliant Corners is his Saint Anger. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, Stanger. It says Stanger. Yes. Which one is it? Stanger? St Anger. Stanger. 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 Yeah. Did Bob Rock produce this record? I forgot. 
<laughs> so do you think that uh, Monk said that quote to his exhausted combo <laughs> in, in the middle of their 24th take? Like, hey, guys, I didn't compose this to be difficult to play. Uh, you know, musicians are going to dig it. Musicians like it. Yeah. <laughs> when, when actual musicians hear it, <laughs> they're going to love it. I mean, if you guys could just pantomime your way through this, that would be great. <laughs> I think this album, though, is really about that song, right? Mm, yeah. 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 To be honest, I mean, that is... It's the title track. It's the first song and it has this almost legacy. Yeah, it should have just, should just been like a single. Just Yeah, <laughs> a single right there. So I did like... I like that song. The first song, really, though, that jumped out to me was uh, Panonica, track three, mm-hmm. which I, uh, having never heard that word before, assumed it was some kind of harmonica. Yeah. And, uh, but it's not. Uh, the reason that song uh, really stuck out to me was the sound of that instrument that he was playing. Kind of uh, sounds like the instrument that's used on like the sugar, Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy Suite, like a... Uh, almost like a glockenspiel, but uh, like softer. And that's exactly what it is. It's called a Celesta, most famously used in that Nutcracker Suite. And it's like, a you play it like a piano, but uh, it's hidden almost like a metal bars, like a glockenspiel or like a vibraphone or something. It gives it that ethereal, heavenly sound. found out is uh is the name of uh baroness kathleen annie panonica de koenigswarter <laughs> who is a british-born jazz patron and a patron and a, and a friend of of monks uh in the community she was known as the jazz baroness or the bebop baroness and uh she was English-born, but she she had this residency at the Stanhope Hotel in New York City. She had a suite, and she just kind of lived there because she's a baroness. And she would host uh, she would host jam sessions in her hotel room suite. And uh, she got to know uh, like Charlie Parker. She got to know Thelonious Monk. She got in this. Uh, she was like in the fold here. Charlie Parker died in her hotel room <laughs> and then they kicked her out right. and so then she went over to the Bolivar hotel which is mm. Baloo's Bol- Bolivar Baluzar. uh she wrote Thelonious Monk's liner note on his 1962 album Criss Cross and when they were busted for weed she took criminal responsibility right she's down yeah if yeah. she takes a charge for you yeah. that's that's saying something that is baroness kathleen annie panonica de kingswater yeah daughter of a rothschild mm. the and, richest family at the time and she is dope yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome that piano playing that instrument was a celesta mm-hmm. very 
very striking on that uh, that track. Do you think that uh, Baroness Kathleen Annie Pamanica de what is Canings Canning Canings Water? Do you would you say that she's maybe history's first ride or die chick? <laughs> <laughs> well, first known. I mean, first known, yeah. first known yeah. ride or die. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah, first historically. I well, actually, know. she's the first die or ride yeah, because John. Parker died yeah. and she rode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, Joan of Arc probably maybe first ride or die oh, chick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but she didn't take a charge. I mean, she. Led the Those charge. are hers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You're right. You're yeah. right. This I mean, is a whole other podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just start that. Right or die chicks of history. Of history. <laughs> <laughs> Starting with Jennifer. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Mary Magdalene. Right or die chick or no? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Queen of Sheba? No. Nah. Uh, the last track on record, uh, Bamsha yeah. Swing. Mm -hmm. That one also, I will. that one will have repeat listens from me. Uh, it was... Maybe less of the uh, freeform solos, uh, bebop, hard bop. It sounded more like uh, just an amped up. I don't want to say big band song, but just more of like tra traditional like jump blues. Yeah, I wrote that as well. It's very like a traditional swing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I thought that was great. I actually really liked also one that he he didn't write. Um, number four, mm -hmm. I surrender, dear. Mm -hmm. uh, is that the solo one? Yeah, mm -hmm. it's just him and piano. Yeah, and that's um, beautiful. Yeah, who, was, I, who wrote it? Uh, Harry Barris. Yep, first performed by Bing Crosby. Mm. But the, his his take on it and his his playing just shines through. Yeah. Like so what do we think? Do we think it's a classic record? Are we ready to get to that part, Birch? I don't mean to skip forward. No, I think we should. Classic record. What do you think? I don't think I'm qualified to say whether or not a bebop record is a classic record. But you can just say for, it for yourself. For you. Yeah. For you. For me, I'm going to put it in the folder of I feel enriched and enlightened to have heard it uh, by Dad will have many repeat listens from me. Yeah. I don't know what other Thelonious Monk album I should have liked more. <laughs> yeah. So I'll say yes. Yeah. Because you have to have Thelonious Monk. It's, yeah. it's, if you're going to go through the genre and the era, you have to but have you Thelonious don't have, Monk. The, the thing about this album is you don't you actually don't have to like someone's original material. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. covers a lot of different mm -hmm. uh, artists, and like I was just saying on the that track, you know, I really like that track, and it's not even his. Mm -hmm. And that's so a big tradition in jazz. Yeah, it's, 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 the interpretation is yeah. can make an entire career. You know, I thought I, I think it's great. I, I think it deserves to be have the listen. Um, so I understand why it's on the list. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Just. As you were saying, like to enlighten, you know, someone who's going through and, and listening to all these records, um, probably will not. I'm probably with you. I, I will pull out Brilliant Corners and I'll pull out a couple tracks, but I, I don't think it's a it's a total. I won't be buying the vintage LP for fifty dollars. Mm. <laughs> uh, I I'm gonna swing the opposite direction from you guys and say the very things that you guys are talking about are why I want to listen to it more. Okay. Because oh. there's I feel like there's more to it than I was able to get the first time around. And again, I didn't have ideal listening conditions because I was listening in a car going yeah. seventy miles an hour. But I had it cranked up and I was trying to <laughs> pay attention, you know, yeah. and everything. And there, the, my thing is, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it's the kind of record you do get it all in the first listen. Yeah. And so I want to spend more time with it before I decide. So that in and of itself, I think, 
uh, makes it special to me as far as all the other records we've listened so far um, in this in this uh, ongoing challenge of stamina and listening and reviewing <laughs> of records, which has been a delightful thing to do. But uh, this is like I think one of the more challenging ones, and that to me uh, is sparks something in me. It's like, oh, you need to spend more time with this and kind of get your brain wrapped around it before I can make a decision. So yeah, I agree. That's that's a good point. Maybe maybe uh, put it in the rotation just every, yeah. every once in a while, just so you can see what you've learned from from it yeah. over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of a lot of reviewers, um, since it is the uh, hundred year anniversary of his birth, mm-hmm. um, a lot of reviewers are going back and and listening to his uh, his records, mm-hmm. and they're kind of saying, you know, I'm picking up a lot more than I originally thought this album. Uh, gave to me. Well, I think, and this is uh, sort of just a blanket statement, and one of the things I think is it's cool about doing this too, because we we're following this book, and it's like telling us what to listen to, and we're like listening to things that we normally wouldn't listen to, which is cool. But also, like that idea of going of, of giving records multiple chances. Yeah. Um, you know, pre-internet, uh, and if you didn't have a ton of money, you would buy a record. You know, when you were growing up, you'd buy a record that you maybe read about. And if it didn't grab you immediately, well, you just spent your weekly allowance on that record. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're sure as hell going to give it four or five more tries to see if you like it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. sometimes it broke you. You're like, oh, okay, now I get it. You Definitely. know, like, I mean, some this, of my favorite records. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. Like when I first got like Jane's Addictions record, I just heard about them. I saw one video. I was like, oh, they're crazy. And then it really had to kind of get my brain around it because it was so different than like the hair metal, you know, yeah. and classic rock that I'd grown up on. I was like, what is happening with this? Same thing with like Mr. Bungle. Like it was, I had to work at it, you know, yeah. and it was then more rewarding. And so I think that's something to maybe kind of think about. We're so, the minute you read about a band, you can go online and hear everything they've ever recorded yeah, and just immediately like, no, oh, it's not for me and dismiss it. Yeah. You know, whereas, and you, you know, if you, if you didn't have that option, that luxury, you yeah. kind of were forced to spend some more time with it. Mm-hmm. So, I will say that I listened to this record three times this weekend, and I got more from it the third time yeah. than I did the second or first. Yeah. First time I listened to it, honestly, to like my pop damaged ears. The first time I listened to it, I'm like, oh, yep, that sure is a jazz record. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it it because it's just so dense. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But. Upon repeated listening, yeah, like certain parts stick out more. Like I'm noticing more things. I'm remembering things. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's a really good point, Matt. Yeah. yeah. I want to say one more thing about the that first track is I love the the fact that he, he kind of shows you this complex arrangement and it's it's in this, you know, this timing. And then he says, now we're going to do it in double time. Yeah. Like literally we can do this it's complex like but now we're just going to double time it and check this out you yeah. know it's amazing yeah it's incredible i love it when bands can do that you know it's mm-hmm. almost like they're showing you something you're like wow that's really amazing mm-hmm. and then the ne- very next step is just blow, blow you away mm-hmm. you know do you have other examples of that in mind of bands that have done that maybe from other genres or Base nectar, I would say. Yingui uh-huh. uh, <laughs> Malmstein. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's like, yeah, and then the second half of it, he's just kicking full into Dragon Force. And just, uh, <clears throat> I think for fun, I think we should each go around and name our favorite bop. 
Oh, oh, like bebop, hard bop, bebop, ooh, bebop, bebop, is yeah, bop it. That's always fun. Okay, I do like bop it. Well, Matt's just named most of the bops. He's already ahead. Yeah, somebody already said she bop, right? I'm gonna go with bebop alula. Okay, okay. Birch, what's your favorite bop? I'm gonna stick with bebop because it's delicious and sustaining. I'm sticking with she bop. Okay. You nasty. Bop. Mm. Yeah, I'll have to go with now. <laughs> yeah. How are your brothers doing, by the way? Worst. <laughs> you know that voice. It's a classic. I bet it's on. The, I bet it's in the book. I bet. Oh, we, it's we oh, work, yeah. We work our way up to it. I bet. Bebop Cola. Bebop Cola. Oh, oh nice. yeah. yeah. From uh, Sea Lab. Yeah. Yep. Done. <laughs> Bebop Cola, which had a. Uh, what were, what were those drinks? <laughs> Mingus Dew <laughs> was one of the drinks. Man, I forgot all about Bebop Cola. Yeah, Bebop Cola. <laughs> and uh, the captain gets trapped under Bebop Cola. Uh, yeah, uh-huh, the, yeah, the captain gets trapped under Ooh. this machine called Bebop Cola. He thinks it's hilarious. All right, that, here we go. You he ready just for wants the, some Mingus Dew. The, the 20 flavors? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. <clears throat> Root Bird, Gilberto Grape, Artie Shawberry, <laughs> Kiwi Holiday, Peachmo, <laughs> John Cola Train, Don with Cherry, Immense Guaraldi, Dave Brewberry, Cab Colaway, Dexterado, Nina Limone, Mango Reinhardt, <laughs> Getsberry, Fizzy Gillespie, Marion McPineapples, Orangette Coleman, Mingus Dew, Plain, and Diet Plain. <laughs> I think I like Mango Reinhardt the most. Yeah, Mango Reinhardt is the kicker. All right, next episode we'll be cut, we'll be uh, digging into Sabu, the album Paulo Congo, which I've never heard. So I'm sounds fun. Curious to uh, check out this Afro Cuban. Sounds wild. Yeah. Um, all right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>